This month, I've highlighted four different habits to cultivate in terms of practicing your faith, living your faith. Um, the first habit has to do with hearing God. And, and I wanna say to you that God still speaks through the Bible. A number of you have taken up the challenge and you're reading through the, the Gospels and the Book of Acts by October. Some of you think that's a wussy challenge, so fine, read the whole New Testament by mid-October, right? But one way to hear God speak is through the Bible. God still speaks through the Bible. We talked about prayer and learning some of the forms and rhythms of prayer. Last week, we talked about the fact that it's one thing to love people, but you also have to open your mouth and talk about Jesus. You have to talk about God. Um, and so today, um, I wanna talk about living for God. And if I can encapsulate that, it's, it, it's this. Living for God is gonna require you and me to engage in extravagant love and extravagant generosity, enough that some of your friends and family will question your sanity. That's what it's gonna take. When I showed up in college my sophomore year, I had learned that I had lost a major source of funding. And I wasn't sure I could cover tuition, room, and board. And I thought I would be getting back in my car and driving back to Indiana. But one of the guys on my floor slipped a check under my dorm room door for $500. This kid was a missionary kid from Africa. He had gone home that summer and had worked all summer and had managed to earn $1,000. So he gave me half of everything he had for the year. Um, it was enough to tip the scales for me to stay at Wheaton College. Ginny and I own four cars outright. It's been a long time since we've had car payments, right? Long, long time. But of the four cars that are titled in our name and that we have the privilege of paying property taxes on every year, only one of them is a car that we purchased. The other three were given, right? Extravagant generosity. Um, and in 2019, so I know what it is to be on the receiving end of extravagant generosity. I've also seen it play out in my family. So in 2019, before the pandemic hit, Jenny had a colleague at school who needed to get out of their house, she and her two boys. And so they lived with us for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And a number of our friends and family were expressing concern, right? Max, Jenny, you're, you're getting taken advantage of. Max, Jenny, this person is using you, right? Like, I started to think those things. But that was extravagant generosity. This person's back on their feet. They're on a good trajectory in life. And that's how it is. Um, I've seen it play out with extravagant love. So James and Rochelle are shouldering a big thing as they walk out, Rochelle fighting this cancer in her brain. And there was an opportunity for people to sign up for meals. And that meal train went on longer than, you know, a 25-foot bridal wedding train and a big church wedding. I mean, I got on and there was no more room. There was no places to sign up. Just weeks and weeks and days and days of meals. And in some ways you could say, right, that was just the way in which they've just generously loved people that was coming back at them, right? Uh, but I've seen extravagant love in other ways. Back before there was an internet, if you can believe it, in the 1990s, I knew of an elementary school principal here who had a kid in his, in his school who was battling a form of cancer, and so he shaved his head. And I'm gonna tell you, he is an ugly man, shaved. He just didn't work for him, right? There's some people it works and some people it doesn't. It didn't work for him. 
But he did that before the internet, before people could take pictures and make a big deal about it. He did that for that one kid. That's extravagant love. So living for God is going to require us to engage in extravagant love and extravagant generosity from time to time. I want to look at a passage today that's widely misunderstood. It's the story of the widow's might. And most pastors will preach on this and they'll say, she gave everything, be like her, church. <laughs> but you're missing a lot that's going on in this encounter with this woman. Um, and so I want to unpack the story of the widow's might because I think it gives us a glimpse into extravagant love and extravagant generosity. So the stuff that comes before and after matter. So Luke 20, verse 45 and following. Then, with the crowds listening, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law. Oh, they love to parade around in flowing robes. And they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head of tables at banquets. Yet, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And then they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. Jesus, Jesus, meek and mild. Little baby Jesus from Bethlehem, he says a group of people are going to be, what? Severely punished. This has gotten Jesus' goat. So these scribes and religious leaders, they had these robes and tassels. And the longer your tassels, which were reminders for you to pray, the more holy you were. And they loved wearing their robes. See, their robes were supposed to be worn doing their duties, but, but they would wear them into the marketplace so people could see the tassels and they could go, oh, Rabbi Max, so good to run into you in the Agora. It's so run, to good, run into you in the marketplace. Shalom, my friend, right? They loved receiving that kind of honor. And at weddings and celebrations and banquets, they would always be given a seat of privilege in front of everybody. And they loved this. They loved the way in which they were honored. They didn't get paid out of the temple money, though. Their income came from people giving because they liked their teaching. It's weird. I know this doesn't happen in America, but if you can imagine a time and a place when teachers were just paid and lived off of the generosity, right, of people because they liked their teaching. And so uh, what they would do is widows who didn't have sons to look after them would turn over their estate to these scribes to manage on their behalf. And they would take the lion's share and put the woman into poverty. That's what Jesus means by shamelessly cheating widows out of their property. Not unlike, let's be honest, there's some big-haired people in America today that have some teaching ministries. They've got a jet, they shop at Gucci, and there's some widows and people who probably need some help that are giving them large sums of money, right? This is not a new, you know, this, is, this old phenomenon is still going on. So Jesus says that these people will be severely punished. Jesus is mad about what's going on in the temple complex. Remember, later this week, he gets a whip and he shows up and he whoosh, he drives people out. Not a very popular move. <laughs> Didn't endear him to the God squad. 
but he's mad about what's going down in this temple complex. And that leads us to Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they've given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. So this is taking place during Passover. Jerusalem during Passover has thousands and thousands of extra people. It's two to three times its normal size. So people from all the surrounding areas, I've got my offering that I'm obligated to give. I've done something wrong. I've got a sin offering, a guilt offering. I had a boy, any number of things. I owe the temple some money. So, you, so they're showing up to put money in one of, I think, seven different containers that were the required offerings that you had to do. And then there were six containers that were in the category of, well, you've met your obligations. You've paid all the things you're supposed to pay. If you want to give a little more, you can. It's not required. If you want to give a little more, you can. And these are the containers that the very wealthy were coming and clung, 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 clung to the people on the side. I don't know if you've ever heard someone use the phrase when they see a really nice boat going down the road, must be nice. <laughs> or really driving through a neighborhood and seeing the houses and seeing how nice and big they are and they say to this phrase, must be nice, right? There were some must-be-nices being uttered in the temple complexes. These rich people were clunking in these large sums of cash into these voluntary offering boxes. But this woman puts in two uh, lepta. Lepta duo is what it is in the Greek, but it's a leptos, little coins. They were minted uh, during the Maccabean Revolt, so they're 100-plus years old. They're very tiny. And they're worth practically nothing. So I did the math because I'm a geek and I like this kind of stuff. So in today's dollars, this right here is worth one-fourth of one cent. One-fourth of one cent. That's what she put in, in today's dollars. Nothing, or practically nothing. Um, so who is this woman? She's a... Widow, Luke tells us. Wasn't Jesus just talking about widows and scribes and, and teachers of the law? Yes, he was. So this widow is putting money into a system that isn't working the way it's supposed to, where the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, people are living high off the hog who shouldn't off of other people's generosity, and she puts in everything she has. Now, there are a few things that Jesus could have said about this woman. I've prepared a few. He could have said, guys, look at this woman. She's got no business putting that money in. She's a widow. She should be reaching her hand in that container and taking out some wads of cash and stuffing that in her robe. That's what she should be doing. I can't believe she's putting money in. What is she thinking? He could have said that. He could have said, look at this schmuck. Look at this idiot. 
putting money into a system. She's never going to see a dime of that. Oh, they're supposed to be supporting her. That ain't going to happen, right? He could have been pointing out the stupidity of somebody and he could have been ranting and raving. Why is it always the poor and uneducated that are getting duped and trying to do things that think that are going to get them ahead, right? He could have said, now why did she do that? God doesn't care about that. God wants her heart, not her money. She's offering the wrong thing. But Jesus doesn't say any of those things. There's no adjectives. Jesus doesn't say good or well done. Jesus doesn't say, contrary to some of my preacher friends, go thou and do likewise. He doesn't say that either, even though she put in all she had. He simply makes a comparison. It's a statement of comparison. Her gift is more than all of what all the rich people put in. It's a statement of comparison. Why? Because Jesus measured giving in proportion to what people had, right? Um, this woman does what the rich young man in Luke 18 couldn't do, right? Rich monk, young man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And he walks away because he can't do it. She does exactly what Zacchaeus does in Luke 19, Zacchaeus encounters Jesus in a meal and Zacchaeus is like, everybody I've cheated, I will pay back four times what I've cheated and I'm gonna give all this money to the poor. And what does Jesus say of Zacchaeus? Today, salvation has come to this house, right? So Jesus is saying some very powerful things here, which is why later this same week, he takes a whip and drives people out of the temple complex. Um, the money changers, the rich and the poor, the scribes and the teachers of the law, all of them. Get out! Get out! <laughs> Zeal for your house consumes me, one of the prophets wrote and the disciples later recalled. By the way, the people who follow Jesus' teaching are so different than the temple complex. Just a few years later in the book of Acts, you have rich people doing something different. They're selling property and they're bringing it and they're laying it at the apostles' feet for the care of who? Widows. So Jesus sets right what should have been working all along. And his followers took his words to heart and lived them out. So the widow's gift in many ways is extravagant. We might say foolish. It was all she had. Um, Two thin, small coins. That's what leptos means, small, thin. Two thin, small coins worth practically nothing. So living for God is going to require you and me from time to time to engage in extravagant generosity and extravagant love. So let me ask a couple of questions. What are you giving to Jesus these days? Financially. Have you loved or been generous with someone in a way that would raise concerns among your friends or among coworkers or among church people? So what are some ways we can take this home? First of all, for some of you, I want to challenge you to become what I call a percentage giver. Um, percentage giving is whatever you're making, whatever your income is, you pick a percent and you give that percent. Um, because again, it's not about the amount of money, right? So 
today at age 52 with where I am in life is not a lot of money. In 1987, when Talmadge gave me that money, it, it was a little worth a little bit more. <laughs> but it was half of what he had. That's what grabbed my heart. That's what caused me to sit up and pay attention, right? So God looks at things apparently with a percentage mindset. So even if you're used to doing $20 here, $50 there, whatever, again, don't worry about the amount. It's not the amount. Start with a percentage. If 10% scares you, start at 1%. If you got $100 coming your way, that's a dollar. Give a good dollar back to God, 1%. Start, start somewhere, okay? That's my first challenge. Um, we had a family recently within the church family. They went from what I call tipper to percentage giver. There was $20 here and there, and then they started with a percentage, and then weird things happened. They got a couple of raises, some other things happened, and, the, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. God's up there trying to get money out to places, and when there's a more flowing stream, he's like, okay, this stream's working. Here, I'll channel some more money that way, right? So... Become a percentage giver. The second one that I want to challenge you with today is to look around for somebody to love. Um, you actually end up in life serving your way into people's hearts. I wish it were, I wish it were different. <laughs> serving people can be hard, um, and hurt people often bite. I can't tell you how many times I've been bit. Ouch, it still hurts. Um, but look around for somebody to love. Um, because here's what I know. You will never lecture your way into someone's heart. You will never talk your way into someone's heart. You will never manipulate your way into someone's heart. You will never argue your way into someone's heart. And so for some of you, you're old enough that you've got adult children. And some of your adult children are making decisions that you wouldn't make if you were in charge of their life. Some of your adult children have done things that you're like, mm, come on, right? Here's the thing, mom and dad, you will never lecture your way into their heart. You will never argue their way, your way into their heart. You might serve your way into their heart. It's extravagant love. That's how that works. One of my favorite stories of this is from the life of a man named Nelson Mandela. He's no longer with us. But holy cow, <laughs> hope to have the faith he had at some point in my life. He was imprisoned. He endured all kinds of horrific things in apartheid in South Africa. But he tells this story that is a story of forgiveness. But for me, it really exemplifies extravagant love and extravagant generosity. Uh, and this is from his own words, right? This is him telling the story. After becoming president, I asked some of my bodyguard members to go for a walk in town. After the walk, we went to lunch for, uh, we went for lunch at a restaurant. We sat in one of the most central ones and each of us asked what we wanted. After a bit of waiting, the waiter who brought our menus appeared and at that moment I realized that at the table that was right in front of ours, there was a single man waiting to be served. When he was served, I told my soldiers, go ask that man to join us. The soldier went and transmitted my invitation. The man stood up, took the plate, 
and sat next to me. While eating, his hands were constantly shaking, and he did not lift his head from the food. When we finished, he waved at me without even looking me in the eye. I shook his hand, and he walked away. One of my soldiers said to me, Madiba, that man must be very sick, as his hands would not stop shaking while he was eating. Not at all. The reason for his tremor is another, I replied. They looked at me weird, and I said to them, that man was the guardian of the jail I was locked up in. Often after the torture I was subjected to, I screamed, and I cried for water, and he came instead to humiliate me. He laughed at me, and instead of giving me water, he urinated on my head. He wasn't sick. He was scared and shook, fearing that maybe I, now the president of South Africa, would send him to jail and do the same thing that he did to me, torturing and humiliating him. But that's not me. That behavior is not part of my character or my ethics. Minds that seek to revenge destroy states, while those that seek reconciliation build nations. That from Nelson Mandela. Extravagant love and extravagant generosity will be required of you and required of me from time to time. Here's something we will never do at Generations, right? One thing we'll never do at Generations is order pizza, have a pizza guy come in, parade him up here, give him a $3,000 tip, take a bunch of pictures, and then put it out there on social media, right? What were the rich people doing that got Jesus' goat? They were putting on a show, right? So Jesus made a point, when you do stuff, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Kind of keep it to yourself. Tuck it under your hat, right? So just, that's just as long as I'm the pastor here. Now, when you kick me out or you're tired of me, then you can do that if you want. But, so I'm just saying, here's, here's, I'm just saying radical love and radical generosity are huge starter ways to start living for God. And if ever there was something needed in our culture right now, these things are needed. I'm going to invite our musicians to come up, and we're going to sing a closing song together, And Can It Be? Uh, but I want to pray with you while they're getting in place. Lord, I know a lot of us, it's been a hard year and a half. Um, some of us are still grieving things we couldn't do. We couldn't graduate the way we wanted. We couldn't go to events that we wanted to have. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, to hear something from the account of someone who endured torture, <laughs> it seems small, but it matters to us. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to have eyes to see the people around us um, and that you would speak to us and that we would be obedient in those moments that require some love or some generosity. Um, yes, we just want to be hands and feet and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.